Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I did this in the first service too, and um, if you know me very well, you know that this is not my style normally. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that stands up and claims that, that God has given me a word for you. You know, I don't, I'm not that guy. Um, I think God uses what gets said from the stage many times. I know that for a fact, but um, <clears throat> I'm always a little leery when someone comes up and says that they, God gave them a word for me. Why didn't God just tell me? You know, I'm just wondering. But, and I'm being facetious, and I could be out of line there, but that wouldn't be the first time, would it? Here's what I'm trying to say. Based on some conversations that I've had this morning, based on some conversations that I've had in the last couple of weeks, I know that some of you are in the middle of some really, really not good stuff. And, and I know it's scary, and I know you're wondering which end is up and which way is out and where is God. And uh, I, I just, I think that if God could say something to you in the midst of that this morning, and you know who you are, um, I think what God would say is, I'm here, and I love you, and I've got it in my hands. Really, I mean, do you need to know any more than that? <laughs> I'm here, and I love you, and I've got it in my hands. Um, I watched a movie with my wife last night. <clears throat> it was not the kind of movie I would watch on my own, but she said, Brett, you should watch this with me. And when they say that, you just should watch it with them. <laughs> Guys, that's just a hint. You should just watch it with them. And this movie, the main character in the movie, um, nothing goes right for this person. Nothing. It's, her, the world's falling apart all around. And in the end, you know, the Hollywood tells you that the way the world gets fixed and the way everything is all better is that someone comes into your life and life's hunky-dory after that. Hogwash. Um, that song, the new song we just sang this morning, Let the, When the Oceans Rage, You Are Here and You Love Me, that's what that girl needed to hear. And that's probably what you needed to hear. And I hope that even though it was a brand new song, I hope it was a song that just spoke. I hope it just rained and cascaded all over you to remind you that God loves you. He's here. He cares about you. And it's going to be okay. It, it may not feel like it. <clears throat> it may not look like it. But God's working. So wanted to say that. And then I also wanted to thank you for being on the ball and on the stick and sending me your hero letters so many that I can't really use any of them today but <clears throat> after I scolded you last week you did a lot better um, here's what I have gleaned from the whole um, hero thing here's what I've taken away you guys are really you, you love your grandparents and you love your mamas and daddies that's what I know and, and I don't know how many of those I've read where the, the basic message has been My mom was a hero to me. My dad did some things that he lived out for me, showed me what a hero is. I, you know, my grandmom or my grandfather. And so here's what I would say to you. If you're a mom or a dad or grandmother or grandfather, chances are good somebody sees you as a hero. 
Somebody's looking up to you. Somebody's counting on you to, uh, to come through and to be everything they need you to be. How's that for pressure this morning? All right. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel verse tw- uh, chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I have a, I'm really excited about teaching you this this morning. If you have a pen handy, I would like for you to have it in hand. Because I want you to write in your Bible today. Yes, it's allowed. We give you permission to do that. I'm going to give you the three principles or the three teaching points up front today. All right? <clears throat> well, I'm not going to do it right now, but when we get there, I'm going to, I'm going to have you write these down. All right, I'll, do, I'll do it now. Let's do it now. If you're at 1 Samuel 24, and if you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. It's kind of toward the front, but not the very front. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Great story in the Bible about David. Here are the three things David's going to teach us today. David is going to teach us to remember the law of God, the principles of God, and the wisdom of God. The law of God, the principles of God, the wisdom of God. As you make decisions, as you try to be a hero, that's where we're going today. Let's uh, let's get into it a little bit. You have been hearing us say throughout this series that A hero has two things, clarity, and you're probably tired of hearing me say that word. Clarity, a hero has clarity, and off of that clarity has this irresistible urge to act, to do something. I've got to do something. Today, as we finish up this series, I want to look at being a hero through a little different lens. And there's always this urge to act, but we don't always act responsibly. We don't always act appropriately. And, And here's why this is so important, because... A hero is not just somebody who does the right thing. A hero is somebody who does the right thing at the right time in the right way. And it's cool to want to be a hero, but if you do it at the wrong time, you can do irreparable harm. Because sometimes there's clarity, but in our urgency to act, sometimes we don't think it through or we don't act appropriately. And even though our motivation is pure, things can go awry. You can probably think of a time in your life when you had clarity and you had the irresistible urge to act and you rushed in and you wished you hadn't when you look back on it you say you know if I'd have thought about that a little bit I'd have done that a little differently but a hero is somebody who just does something a hero does that something at the right time in the right way Christians are horrible about this sometimes as Christians because we have the Bible and because we feel like we're able to see moral dilemmas better than others we feel like we're able to sometimes I don't know we always do, but we think we do. We can because we have the Bible. And I'll just tell you, that really irritates people who aren't believers sometimes. Um, so be careful how you do it. But sometimes in moral dilemmas and ethical dilemmas, we think we have more clarity. And because we think we have more clarity, we just go barging in. And sometimes we act or we react in ways that put people off. And, and do more harm than good and, and do things in a way and, and kind of make people want to get away from the church and from Christians. I, I saw it this week. I saw someone basically saying, this is exactly why I resist the church. Somebody, some well-meaning Christian had said something, was trying to do a good thing, but in the course of doing a good thing, did it the wrong way. And because they did it the wrong way, people who were watching that went on Facebook is where I saw it, and they said, that's exactly why I hate organized religion. And as a pastor, I just go, oh, 
I appreciate that we want to do things. And I appreciate that we want to change people's lives. And we, you know, I had somebody ask me one time, Brett, why do Christians feel compelled to push their faith on me? And I said, look, it's not, they're not, they don't mean to push their faith on you. We believe in Jesus. And Jesus has changed our life. And, and, and we believe he's real and we believe he's coming back one day. And we believe it's important for you to know that and for you to respond to that. And I'm sorry for those times when somebody has pushed too hard or done it in a way that, that put you off and didn't help you to understand that there's a rational, normal, logical way that Jesus makes sense in your life. And I've had a lot of people say, I just, I can't stand the way Christians act sometimes. And we mean well. We're trying to do good stuff, but sometimes it just makes people just want to run the other direction. In our effort to bring people to Jesus, we do the exact opposite. We push them away. So the question is, how do we know what to do? Because heroes always do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Today I want to look at a story from the life of David, and he finds himself in a situation where all the circumstances line up for him to do something and and it seems pretty obvious that something needs to be done and he has incredible clarity that something needs to be done in fact in this case God has already said that something is going to be done eventually so God David knows that God is going to be up to something and the people that David is with they're prodding David to act to do something and I'm going to share this story with you in just a minute I'm just going to give you a precursor Fortunately for us, David does not do what his friends suggest that he do. And and he leaves a great example for us because in the circumstances, had he acted, it would have been the wrong thing. And and when you read it, from our perspective, just naturally, we say, well, why wouldn't you do that? Why why wouldn't you do that? Well, I'm hoping to use those three things, the, the, the law of God, the principles of God, and the wisdom of God, to show you why you wouldn't do it that way. Um, because... In determining how to respond to our world, the things that we need to change, you know, in our, in our world, our lives, our culture, our families, our relationships, we want to be heroes. And we want to do it the right way. So 1 Samuel chapter 24, let's set this up. David, <clears throat> David was a shepherd boy, and he found himself when he was young, when he was a teenager, in this environment. It was a military environment, and he, he's around his brothers. He's taking them something to eat, and he realizes that this giant is across the way, and he's making insults at, at the Israel army and um, he gets ticked off by it. So he basically goes down and, and whips Goliath. And um, as a result of that, he, he, his name is kind of out there. A lot of people know who David is. He's, he's kind of, a, you know, um, he would be trending on the Internet. That's how we would say it today. Okay, he would, he would be trending. Things were up and to the right for David. Things were going good. About the same time that he defeats Goliath, King Saul had some real troubling issues personally mentally he we don't really know what was going on with him but he was mood swings and he didn't he just was a he was in getting gotten bad moods and you know you don't want to be around the king when he's in a bad mood you don't know what he's going to do and so what they figured out was when david comes in and plays the harp for king saul that seems to help king saul so about the time that he has defeated goliath he's also gaining favor with king saul through the harp he plays these beautiful songs and king saul would calm down and of course everybody liked it when king saul was calm and so these two things combined david's prowess as a 
as a warrior, as a, a fearless you know, guy that was willing to take on this giant, and his ability to have influence over King Saul, he becomes somewhat of a folk hero, and everybody is knowing about King David. And so people started to write songs and say things about David and about Saul. And, you know, they said things, you know, they would write these songs like, King Saul is cool, but David is really, really cool. You know, that, that King Saul's a neat guy, but man, have you met David? And one song that you would read in the Bible is a, a little verse that goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Well, if you're the king, and you hear people talking like that and singing these songs about this snot-nosed punk kid, you don't like that. So this isn't good news if you're the king. You don't want somebody running around enjoying that kind of favor and to make matters worse there was a rumor that God had removed his blessing off of King Saul and had chosen David to be the next king that's a problem and on top of that you would like to think that if there's going to be a next king it would be the king's son which in this case the guy's name is Jonathan and so King Saul's probably thinking you know when I'm not here I want Jonathan to be the next king and on top of that David and Jonathan the king of the son of the king are really good friends so you have all this mess going on and that's what's happening in the middle of all this story one day king saul is fed up and david is there playing his harp you know I, how do you play you play a harp he's playing the harp and saul while david is playing the harp takes his javelin and throws it at david and misses now i don't know if you have discernment enough to know so i'm just going to help you when the king throws a, a javelin at you, he doesn't like you. That's free. That didn't cost you anything this morning, right? That's free information. When someone's throwing a javelin at you, you should leave the, the room. That's a good idea. In fact, you should probably do what David did. David ran to the desert to hide. It was a good idea. Because Saul's saying, I'm going to kill David. I'm going to take him out. He's more popular than me. I don't want him to be the king. I want my son to be the king. And Saul decided, I've got to get rid of David. So David goes to the desert. He finds some people in the desert who are disenfranchised by the current regime. They, they're not big Saul fans either. And so these guys all hook up, and they, they have this thing in common. Um, and so they become kind of like David's merry band of rebel men. And, and uh, you know they think David's pretty cool. And that's where the story picks up. King Saul has just returned from battle with the Philistines. And he's coming home. And he hears that David and his men are out in the desert. And he decides to, on his way home, to kind of take a right-hand turn and go down and find David and take him out. That's, that's kind of where this story is headed today. And he's going to be done with this kid once and for all. Pretty exciting, huh? It's pretty good. You want to see what happens? Verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. That's about 40 miles from Jerusalem down by the, the Dead Sea. Verse 2, so, tall, uh, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That's what they call this particular area, crags of the wild goats. We have toad hop. They had crags of the wild goats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting all morning for that. That felt good. 
Now, where I'm from in Kentucky, we have a little town. You want to hear what this little town's name is? Rabbit Hash. You ever heard of Rabbit Hash? I'm pretty sure a dog was the mayor of Rabbit Hash once upon a time. You know, we all got names for our places. This happened to be the Crags of the Wild Goats. He's going down into this cavernous, deserted, kind of rocky place. And I don't know that it looked exactly like this, but you can kind of imagine a Grand Canyon kind of, kind of harsh, hard, um, you know, desolate kind of place. And, there, and in this place where David is, there's all kinds of caves everywhere. And he's going to go down there and look for David. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. This is Saul now. And Saul went in to relieve himself. See, these are human people. We read the Bible like they're superhuman or something, like they wouldn't do stuff like this. No, dude had to go to the bathroom, okay? That's what's going on. If you've got, who has a King James? Anybody have a King James? We don't do a whole lot of that in here, but if you got one it's cool but in the king james in verse three i'm pretty sure it says he had his feet covered which is the cool way to say i'm going to the bathroom so today men when you go to the bathroom and say i'm going to the bathroom say i'm going to go cover my feet and everybody will go oh that's wonderful so you're thinking there's a there's a lesson in here somewhere so king saul goes into the cave he's going to use the bathroom and here's what I know right now. Every junior high boy in the place, this just became his favorite story, right? This and the one where Samuel uh, cuts Agag up to pieces with a sword. Junior high boys are really into stuff like that, just kind of crass and crude, and so they didn't realize that there was a dude in here that went to the bathroom. They're like, that's cool. I like that story. So Saul and his men are looking for David, and Saul has to go to the bathroom, and everybody stops, and Saul gets off his mule or whatever it was that he was riding, and, and for privacy, he, he uses this cave, and, and there are tons of caves in this area. There are thousands of caves in this area, and he just happens to go into this one. His bodyguards stay outside while he goes inside uh, to have some privacy, and it's just a random cave. It's coincidental that he had to go to the bathroom at the very spot, in the very cave, at the very moment where David would be. Just a coincidence, right? Just a, just a coincidence. David and his men were far back in that very cave. Now you're David. And this guy's trying to kill you, and as a teenager, somebody came to your house one day called you out of a field anointed your head with oil and told you as a child God has said you're going to be the next king and the man who has anointed you king is also the man who has anointed the present king so that kind of lends credence to all this and the only way to be king is for Saul not to be the king and the only way for Saul not to be the king is for Saul to be dead and he's been chasing you and saying that he was going to kill you and take your life and you've been hiding out in a cave and David and his men are hiding and they're waiting for Saul and his army to march past. The goal here is we're going to hide in this cave. Here comes Saul and his army. We're going to wait for him to pass and when they pass, we're going to escape out the rear. That was the plan. Weren't, weren't planning on the king coming into the cave to use the bathroom. That wasn't part of the plan. And everything was going to be great until Saul stopped 
in front of the very cave where David was. Now, David and his men have been in there for a while, which means their eyes have adjusted. They, they can see a little better in the cave than Saul can. Saul can't. You know that feeling when you walk into a dark room and you, you can't see anything? That's what Saul's going through. And into the mouth of this cave comes King Saul, the king of Israel, by himself, totally disrobes so that he can go to the bathroom. And he is in the most vulnerable of positions. What are you thinking if you're David? Here's my chance. All the stars have just lined up into place. What a coincidence. It must be. God's delivering him into my hand. And if you're David's men, you're thinking to yourself, this is the day that the Lord has made. What could be more obvious than this? God has just answered my prayer. We know it's God's will for me to be king. And we know it's God's will for him not to be. And here he is trying to take my life. And God just served him up to me on a silver platter, it would seem. Verse 4. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Apparently, David has sat around a campfire with these guys and told this story many, many times. And they've heard him talk about the fact that, oh, yeah, God wants me to be the king. I've been anointed the king. One day I'm going to be the king. And David's men are like, Yeah, right, you're going to be the king. And David's like, No, I'm telling you, I was anointed king. Some dude came in named Samuel, called me out of a field, poured oil all over me, and said, you are going to be the next king. And they're like, right. That's why we're hanging out in the desert. That's why we're hiding from this guy right now. Yeah, you're going to be the king. David, you're not anything more than a rebel just like we are. And all of a sudden, there's the king. And it's like God is saying, here he is, boys. And they're saying, David, this is the day that you told us about. This is exactly the way you've been saying it was. We didn't believe it. We didn't think it was true, but it's, it seems to be the truth. And David, you don't even have to kill him. We'll kill him for you. You don't even have to do anything. Now, this is the world that you will eventually, if you haven't already, this is the world that you will eventually find yourself in. And there is something that you want. There's something that you've prayed for. You want it so bad you can't stand it. And you've begged God for it. There's something you have conviction about, and you turn around, and all the circumstances have lined up, and it looks like it was, it looks just like a big plump apple waiting for you to pluck it off the tree. And you think to yourself, this is a no brainer. Obviously, this is what I'm supposed to do. This happens in the realm of, no, of uh, normal decision-making and in the realm of decisions where you have the opportunity to be a hero. You see, in the normal course of events, maybe, maybe something like you, you just came out of a tough relationship and, and you tell yourself, you know, it's been a couple of months or maybe even years and, and I'm going to do it different this time. I'm going to find a, a, a somebody that, you know, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust God. I want, him, I want this next person to be a Christian. I want him to love Jesus. And you come to church, and down the aisle, about four or five people, there he is. Oh, my. And you've got a red Bible. 
and they've got a red Bible. And for some unknown reason, that three or four or five people that were between you and them get up and move and go sit somewhere else. And then Tracy stands up and says, hey, we're a little crowded today. Could you scoot in? And they move right down next to you. It must be. And you start talking a little bit and you find out that you have a lot of the same stuff in common. You're from the same state. They have parents and you have parents. And it just goes on and on. And it's just so obvious. God, this is what I've been praying for and hoping for. And all the stars are lining up. And it's a go, go, go. It's a green light. And I don't even need to pray about this one. This is so cut and dried, so crystal clear. Who could miss this sign from God? Now, I'm being facetious. But all of us have been there haven't we we've all been at that place where it looked it looked like a god thing and so you think to yourself well brett how do you know when it's a god thing because we're so sure at the time because what are the odds that the stars would line up in such a way what are the odds that these things would come together in this particular way that would would make this look so attractive and make this look so right and it's got to be let me tell you something about circumstances. Do you know what circumstances are? Circumstances. They're not green lights or yellow lights or red lights. Oftentimes, they're just circumstances. And we've got to pay attention. But there's a tendency for me and you to try to discern right from wrong and to try and figure out based on our ability to interpret the circumstances. And then you add to that some kind of moral component. You know, this needs to be changed. That's got to be addressed. I've got to say something to my boss. This is just not happening right. When all of a sudden there's something that really needs to be done and you have moral clarity and you know what needs to be changed. And add to that situation where it's all lined up and it just looks perfect. And I'm going to be the hero. And you feel like God is saying, yes, go, 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 go. All based on circumstances. But the truth is so oftentimes those kind of circumstances and green lights aren't really green lights from God at all. They're just circumstances that if we get too sucked into will con us into making a mistake and doing something that we really, really shouldn't do, don't want to do. And the thing that makes it so difficult is that every decision-making environment is an emotional environment. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are no emotionally neutral decision-making environments. I don't know if you realize that. Think about the last car you bought. Was that an emotionally neutral decision-making environment? No. First car I ever bought and the last car I bought was like, yeah, give me that car. Houses, yeah. Can't wait to get that house. Boyfriend, girlfriend, yeah. I don't care whether you're buying something or doing something you know making a decision about your kids it's there's some emotion attached to it and again you add the complexity of emotions to a situation where you feel compelled to act and compelled to confront somebody or to change or to do something and it's difficult sometimes to see clearly because the emotions cloud our thinking or our emotions give us more passion then the situation justifies. Have you ever disciplined your kids? 
and then walked away and thought, I might have overdone that just a little bit. Some of the best advice I ever got, I haven't always followed it. My, pa- my kids really wish that I would have sometimes, I'm sure. But some of the best parenting advice I ever got was don't discipline your kids when you're angry. Because I've disciplined my kids when I was angry. And I probably got carried away. I probably did too much. And so, you know, you add passion and you add emotion. You had the right motivation. Something needed to be done. As a parent, didn't you think that? I got to do something. I can't let that go. I got to discipline that. Boom! And then afterwards, you're in your chair and you're thinking about it and you're thinking, I might have could dialed that down just a little bit. Your parent and your kids are like, yeah, you, you really could have dialed that down. I've got, I, did, I gave my kids one spanking one time. They still talk about it. They st- and the thing was, I wasn't, I, I mean, I, I had calmed down when I gave that spanking. And they're like, Dad, you hit us too hard. I No, if you still remember that one, that was a good one. That was a good one. Can you imagine the emotion in that cave? You're in there and you're, you're David and you got your guys around and your number one enemy comes in. This guy has sworn to kill you. He's going to take you out. And he is right in front of you in his most vulnerable position. And God's already said, I'm going to take him out and I'm going to put you in. And then he's got his best friends. David's right there. And he's got his best friend saying, go for it. Go for it. This is exactly what God promised. Take him out. At least let one of us do it. It's so obvious. Clarity. The irresistible urge to act. But David knew what I have missed from time to time and possibly what you have missed from time to time. He knew that a hero is not just somebody who does the right thing. A hero is somebody who does the right thing the right way at the right time. And what's amazing about this, as we'll find out in a minute, David is able to detach the emotion from this decision that's swirling around in this cave. There's a lot of emotion in that cave. And he weighed the options and the alternatives against something other than how he felt. And the emotion and the, and the momentum, the, the emotional momentum that the circumstances had created that weighed, and he weighed his options against the law of God, the principle of God, and the wisdom of God. I want you to see this because this is what I want you to start asking yourself when, you've, when, you, when all the stars start lining up and you think, man, i got to act. i got to do something. It's time. I mean, God obviously is speaking to me in these circumstances. Hold all that. That, that may be. It may be that God wants you to do something. Hold it up to these three things, though, and I want you to see how David does this. Somehow, even with all the pressure and momentum that that was headed in the wrong direction, David is able to somehow break free and say, no, there's another way to do this. To to kill King Saul, as much as it looks like a God thing to do that, as much as it looks like God is just handing him to me. I mean, what are the odds that I'm hiding down in this cave and, and the one guy comes in and, and that he comes in by himself. And not just that he comes in by himself, but that he strips down and I've got him. David's able to break away. I mean, this is like something from a movie. You, you couldn't write a better script than this. 
I mean, all the soldiers are outside. They're, they're waiting. There's a guard just outside the mouth of the cave, and then who knows how many thousands of soldiers, or I don't know how many were with him, but probably more than David had. Fair amount. If they're coming back from war, there's a fair amount of people with him. And all David has to do is kill him while he's in the cave and walk out of the cave, and he's the new king. You think anybody's going to argue with him? Saul walked in. David walked out. Everybody else would have gone, whoa. Or, if you were writing this movie and you wanted to make it rated R for blood and guts, you would do it the way they did it in the old days and the way they did it in these days. You would cut the king's head off and you would grab his hair and you'd walk out and you'd say, I just killed your king. I'm your new king. How do you like that? And everybody would have gone, whoa. David said, no. No. Yeah, it's the will of God that I be the king. Eventually. But this isn't the way. Now listen to what happens next. The last part of verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He could do that because Saul's robe is nowhere close to the king. Then David crept up, cut off a corner of the robe. Now, now imagine you're one of David's guys and you see him. I mean, you're all crouched down and you see David creeping up to the king and you think, oh, this is it. We're going to watch it happen. I mean, this is better than a movie. We're going to watch him go up and take out the king, and we're going, to, we're going to be eyewitnesses to a change of a whole regime. And then David gets up there, and he cuts off a little corner of the robe, and he comes back to the guys. And the guys are thinking, what are you doing? Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Why? Why would it be conscience-stricken? Because he sees things differently than the other guys in the cave. Verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. What do you mean your master? Guys, that's the king. Yeah, I know he hates me and I know he's sworn to take my life, but that's the king. And thou shalt not murder the king. It's a law. Thou shalt not murder. I know, but you're in the same cave and he's wanting to kill you in circumstance, circumstance, circumstance. Passion, passion, passion. Coincidence, coincidence. And David's saying, he's my master and he's my king and you don't murder the king. God's already covered this, guys. God's already talked about this. Can't do it that way. My master, the Lord's anointed, he goes on, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that not only is Saul the king, but Saul is the king that God hand-picked to be the king. Saul didn't run for king. Saul didn't put out political signs and say, hey, vote for Saul to be the king. It wasn't the people's choice. God said, God, Saul, I'm gonna, you're the king. I've picked you for this time. I want you to be the king. David understood that. He says, look, number one, he's my king. Number two, he's the guy that God put in place. And, and here's a principle for you. First, there's the law. You don't murder the king. The second thing is this. You need to remember this. You don't replace what God has put in place. Okay? You don't replace something. When God has put it in place, you don't replace it. It's just not smart. 
oh well david we weren't really thinking about that i mean we just were thinking this guy's trying to kill you and he comes into the cave takes off his clothes easy pickings i mean looks pretty simple from where we were standing we weren't thinking about all that we didn't really we just got excited about seeing the king in here verse 7 when these words with these words david rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack saul and saul left the cave and went his way then david went out of the cave and called out to saul there's a surprise for you my lord the king when saul looked behind him david bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground he showed him respect he said to Saul why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave some urged me to kill you but I have spared you I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed skip to verse 12 May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. In other words, I had every reason and every opportunity to take your life from you. But that is not the story I wanted to tell. You remember in week one when we talked about what story do you want to tell? What story? When when you're in the middle of something, maybe you're in the middle of it right now, Think about the decisions you're making. What story do you want to tell at the end of this whole thing? He knew from ancient history that that kings who kill to become king are kings who get killed. That makes sense? That the kings who murdered to get the kingship eventually end up being murdered themselves. That that's generally what happened when you were that in that kind of environment and And if that's the way you assumed position, if you do it outside of the way God wants it done, that's how it happened. And David knew better. This wasn't the story that David wanted to tell. Listen, when David is a grandfather and he's going to tell this story to his grandkids, imagine imagine this scenario. You know, the grandkids come into the room and see Grandpa where he's sitting in his chair and say, Papa, tell us the story about how you became the king. Well, you see... I was with my guys in this cave and the king comes walking in and he took off all his clothes because he had to go to the bathroom. And when I got him in that kind of position, I killed him and I became the king. Oh, Papa, you're so brave. That doesn't sound right. That's not the story you want to tell your grandkids. You go on and you read the rest of this and eventually Saul essentially what he says is to david is david you're a greater man than i am you had the opportunity to kill me you did what no ordinary man would do what man has the opportunity to take out his his biggest enemy and doesn't do it and in verse 20 i want you to see what he says this is saul talking to david okay i know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of israel will be established in your hands And that day, David became a hero, not only to his own merry band of men, he became a hero to all the men in Saul's army. An army that one day he would command. On that day, he became the hero. Hear this. God does not violate his law, his principles, or his wisdom to accomplish 
his will and we have got to remember that i don't know how many times i have just completely ignored that seven chapters later do you know what happens (laughs) saul is in battle against the philistines and it's furious and it's not going well for the israelites and they begin to retreat a little bit and somehow it gets in a position where where Saul and, and his bodyguards, his little guard around him, they're somewhat exposed or they're isolated somehow. And, and just by chance, a random archer decides to take an arrow, put it in his bow, draw back, and let it fly. And it flies through the air, and it comes down, and it pierces Saul's armor. He's mortally wounded. Saul makes a decision. I am not going to fall into the hands of the enemy. I will not let them kill me and drag me through their city and exult over my death. So Saul takes out his sword and he falls on his own sword so his own men can get him out of there. And not long after that, David is heralded as the new king. Now, that's a story. That's a story you want to tell your grandkids. And it happened just as God predicted, just as God wanted it to happen, and it happened without violating God's law, God's principles, and God's wisdom. God's will will be done when he's good and ready for it to be done. That's what we've got to remember. So when you're up against it, you're trying to figure out, okay, it looks like a big red juicy apple waiting to be picked off the tree better hold it up against god's law god's principles god's wisdom let's pray together god we're probably all of us in this room guilty at one time or another of just trying to read the tea leaves or the stars or whatever the circumstances are that make us think well this is a god thing and you've given us a bible and your law and your principles and your wisdom are in it but we just a lot of times if we're totally honest we are not familiar enough with it and we just need to confess that to you Lord I pray that as a church we would we would stop this nonsense of trying to figure out circumstances based on our ability to do so and instead we would lean more heavily into your law your principles and your wisdom just strikes me God that the people that I really admire and like the way their life has turned out that's what they did they're not interpreting circumstances they're very much in tune with who you are they make good decisions and I've wondered many times how do they do that well they do that because they they honor your law and they honor your principles and they honor your wisdom so Lord would you make us a church that's different Would you set us apart? Would you help us to be better at this one thing, this this being a hero thing, but in the right way at the right time? Not because it just looks like a God thing, but because it's backed up by your law, your principles, and your wisdom. Lord, we love you. We are so blessed. Given Jesus to die for us, we are forgiven, we are free is in that freedom that we sing, that we worship, that we fellowship here this morning. Come rain down on us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.